0: Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast.
1: <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt.
0: We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships.
1: If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place.
0: Here we go. We've got company today, Sherry. We do. We do, in we fact. a lot of company. It's, uh, I know how much you enjoy just talking me and you. Mm-hmm. Especially depending on what the topic is. That's your favorite part of the week, I know. I know. But sorry, it's not just going to be me and you. We've got lots of company. Today, we are going to talk about the very important topic of forgiveness. And some of the people that are joining us today have actually changed my perspective pretty dramatically on forgiveness. And so I consider them to be experts. While we're all just people that are in recovery from different sides of the fence and We're doing our best to get healthy and get better. We are also people that have done a lot of research and a lot of reading and listening and learning. And the people on this call have a lot to say about forgiveness. At least I hope they do, because we're all going to talk about it together. Mm -hmm. So welcome to Lori and Mike and Dawn and Karen. Thank you for joining us on the Untoxicated Podcast. Uh, Let's dive right in. Dawn, I want to come to you first. Because you really helped me that that understand that forgiveness can be a solitary act, that there's one thing to um, give forgiveness to someone with or without an apology. And we can also, you know, ask for and not receive forgiveness, but it, it doesn't have to be two people sitting across from each other, having this interaction uh, in order for forgiveness to take place, um, you've done a lot of a lot of research on the topic of forgiveness, haven't you? I have. Is there any one particular like uh, book or person or one thing that really stands out that that you um, that you learned from, or has it been a conglomeration of stuff?
2: Well, I started reading a lot of stuff, but this the language of deep forgiveness is a book um, that really, I don't know, maybe I just understood it the way it was explained in that book. Um, it it helped me to understand that I don't, I don't have to necessarily walk up to somebody and say, I forgive you. I can just internally forgive people and move forward. And that was very healthy for me. Um, in addition to that, this was all stemmed from my um, counselor telling me that I don't know how to forgive because I was holding on to like major resentments and grudges because of the way I was raised I mean my family doesn't forgive they just don't they I, we cannot talk to each other for years um so I mean I went I have a forgiveness workbook and I read and I read this forgiveness book and I read for every morning Every single morning, I read a passage out of forgiving and moving up. Um, it's, it's like a year long and you just keep repeating every year you start. It's dated and you just read it. But this one book, you know, it just spoke to me and it helped me really understand it to where my therapist was like, oh, I think you've got this down now. You know, I think, you know, you got this. Um, and it was things like I'll read them. I accept that you will never make up for what you did to me, although it would be the right thing to do. That I wasn't getting that from Len. I wasn't getting the, I was getting the I'm sorrys," but I wasn't getting the I'm sorry for. And that helped me tremendously. And then the other one that really helped me was, this is on me. I accept that I will never hurt you for hurting me. Although it would be the fair thing to do, it's not about. It's not like an eye for an eye, you know. And I think that helped. That helped me.
0: Well, I think both of those two things that you read are about um, the. You know, I don't know if it's how we're brought up, or just it, it just happens to some of us. But we have this idea that forgiveness is about getting even. And both of those things you read are kind of along those lines and it's, it's not, that's no way to go about um, trying to forgive. We've, we've, it's gotta be a solitary, we've got to experience it for ourselves. Did you feel a change in yourself along
2: those lines? I felt a change in myself because I also was under, like, I, I was under the impression that if I forgive you, I'm condoning your actions. Yes. I'm saying it's okay. I'm um, it's okay that you do this. And it just gives people, the opper- you know, you feel like they're just going to do it again because you forgave them. Um, that's not what forgiveness is about. It's it's an internal thing. Um, and you could forgive someone and not say it out loud. You don't have to say it out loud. It, you know, it's it, it's really a personal thing.
1: Yeah, and I always thought forgiving meant you needed to never think about it again. So that forgive and forget. Mm. And I thought, well, that's really hard. I mean, that, cause I have a really good memory and like all humans, anything that's bad sticks with us and you hold on to it. So forgiving and forgetting I hate that, that concept that you had to do that.
0: Oh yeah. That that's one of the things I want to talk about. So let's, let's go there. Um, forgiving is not forgetting. That's what all the experts on forgiveness say, um, and you know, there's, so there's two pieces of it. There's what you just said, Sherry, you, if you, if you're of this mindset that you've got to forgive and then never think about it again, um, you know, that's just unnatural, right? That's unhealthy, but there's also, can you forgive without it being a pass for that behavior? I'm wondering if any of our other panelists, um, want to jump in on that. Have you ever struggled to forgive because you feel like if you say, okay, I forgive you, then I'm condoning the behavior and you're going to be just fine. Anyone have thoughts on that?
3: For
4: me, it was like recognizing that forgiveness and trust were two different things. Okay. So, and... I was raised where somebody else had the power to forgive in my religion. It wasn't up to me to do it. So I had to learn how to do it for myself and, and not everybody's um, experience might be this, but I had to forgive myself first Mm -hmm. for believing lies or not knowing or not being able to control it better or all of those things.
0: So, um, That's a really important point you made. So a a lot of us, not all of us, obviously, but a lot of us are brought up to believe um, the forgiveness has to be requested and then it has to be granted by somebody else. And so forgiving yourself was a concept that you just kind of did you come up with that on your own or read about it? How did you come to grips with the fact that you were going to have to forgive yourself for the things, you know, like you said, the believing of the lies and stuff?
4: I think I just knew to heal, I had to focus on me, that too much energy had gone towards um, the alcoholic in my life. And if I wanted to heal, um, I needed to put that focus on me. So I just started working on myself.
0: That's great. That's great. Sherry, you were raising your hand when I, just I asked. Say,
1: I think everybody <laughs> that. So
0: the idea of if you forgive and forget, then you have to condone the behavior.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, for years, even before you started recovery, we said, I said, I'm tired of you asking for an apology or giving an apology because it was a blanket statement. I know you're just going to do it again. doesn't matter if I forget. Um, doesn't matter if I add it up and every little transaction that you've made, that was a mistake was like years, like my, my behavior, would lay on years and years of that same thing, you know, like adding it up. So I, yeah, I just kind of felt like, why bother apologizing and well, getting? And that's just a pass, like, oh, you're sorry. Okay, go ahead and go ahead and do it next time and well, screw me over again.
0: That's what I wanted to go to next. A, a lot of times in when I was still actively drinking, I would, you know, I'd have a binge or whatever, I'd drink for three or four days or two or three days or whatever. And I'd go too far and I'd cross the line and I'd say insulting things. And then I would go through some short period of sobriety and start apologizing to you for what I had done, even though I really didn't even know what I had done because I was blacked out for most of it or part of it anyway. And then you've shared that to accept that apology, or that apology didn't really hit home because it was almost like a promise that I was going to do it again. It was like, I'm just trying to clean the slate so I can do the same yeah. thing again. Yeah. That's a That's lot how of, I felt. Oh, that's in, not only is the action that I had done painful, but it's like anticipation of the next pain.
1: Right. And then after you would apologize, you would never want to talk about it again. So then there was no resentment mm-hmm. processing or no processing at all. Mm-hmm. And that blanket statement, I'm sorry I acted this way. Yeah. Well, what way did you act, Matt? Tell me what you're sorry for. What is it that you did, but you didn't know what you did?
0: Like Don was saying, yeah.
1: So that's why I was like, your apologies are shitty. I don't want to hear them anymore. Yeah. Just change the behavior. Does
0: anyone else have experience with that, where the apology was meaningless because you knew the behavior was coming back?
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I personally think that. So again, his therapist recommended we read the five love languages. So you guys know how I am then I dive deep, right? So this guy wrote like 10 different books. And one of them is when sorry isn't enough. I bought a copy for me. I bought a copy for him. I don't know how much of it he read, but I'm like, sometimes it's just not enough. And then I had a book, like I had been tracking for two and a half years, a book of resentments every time, because it had helped me to write out my stuff. But every time something triggered me, I'd write it down, write it down. And then one day I was like, if I read him this, oh my God. So then I started grouping them, you know, like this is under this category. So really that's just one resentment. This is under this category. Cause I like Sherry, I could name dates, times, places, you know, where he did something stupid. And I was like, no, you don't get a pass from that. But I do think that the apologies got to be You know, and he even got tired, he got tired of saying I'm sorry and not knowing what I was needing, not knowing how to apologize to me, even two and a half years into our separation. He didn't know what to say, you know? Um, So once we talked, like went through all this together, you know, and even last night being nervous about coming on here, I told him these two statements and it hurt his feelings. It hurt his feelings that I, you know, I mean, that it would be fair for me to hurt him like he hurt me. Um, that hurt his feelings. But then we talked through it and he's like, you know, all we can do is be honest with each other.
3: Yeah.
0: Yeah, fair, but unlikely to actually, you know, ever take place. I think that's that's the thing about it. I think the people. That are having to deal with forgiveness and how they're going to handle forgiveness are not the kind are not like vengeful evil people. So <laughs> you, for instance, Don, uh, you might you might feel like you need to to get back uh in order for it to be equal, but but you're just not that kind of person. And you know, but most I of the people we long, encounter aren't.
2: a long time though, I did it's like I I in my head, I would play out scenarios where I could get him back for all the Pain. And I got to tell you, when I had my first son and my husband didn't sign the form for epidural because he was afraid I would have chronic back pains the rest of my life. And I asked my dad for a knife so I could cut his heart out. Oh, and the my delivery God. Room. Um, it, he had a appendix rupture and I worked at the hospital at the time. He had an append- his appendix rupture and it, my friends held off pain medication for the exact six hours and 27 minutes that I was in labor and I made him suffer. So I do have a vegetable side to me. Oh my god. Oh everybody has laughing and we're everybody
0: on this. Yeah I wish this was TV instead of radio because everyone is rolling with laughter (laughs) as they're listening to it. Because
1: wouldn't we all love to have a little bit of that power sometimes?
4: I just
0: wish I had a little bit of Dawn. Because uh quite a bit more spunky than I am. I don't
4: don't think we don't feel that or think that. We just generally don't do that. Exactly. Or have an opportunity to do something of that. Right. Well, you'd have to have kind of a malevolent mind, but it's not that we don't think it sometimes. We just don't usually do it.
0: <laughs> now sherry and i bartended together that's how we met and i saw her do some things to some drunk people who had behaved badly yes. so i think <laughs> don and sherry I mean, have some things like in that,
3: common
1: yeah don and i are a little bit like yeah it's that
2: midwest thing i think
1: yeah
4: yeah, yeah. i'm in the midwest Matt, you should have been more afraid of Sherry then if
1: you'd seen it before. <laughs> I, I think he was a little was bit pretty afraid.
0: afraid. I was pretty afraid. Yeah. I just like the I danger. Mean, I,
1: I remember one time during an argument, you had been like sassy and smart alecky like all afternoon because you would gotten an afternoon buzz on. And we were eating in the family room downstairs for our Saturday night movie. And I mean, I didn't usually react in front of the kids. I think some of them have gone up to bed already and you were eating late. And I turned over your plate of spaghetti right in your lap. Like, I was just like, ah, you know? Yeah. And afterwards I was like, well, then that just leaves me to clean up the mess. So (laughs) it was always like those things when I could become a little bit more vengeful. I'm like, well, I'm just going to have to clean up the mess. Yeah. Because he wouldn't do it right. Yeah. You know, because you're drinking and. But it sure felt good at the time. And I will say that you started laughing and I started laughing.
0: So it kind Mm -hmm. of like. Broke the tension a little bit. Six six hours of, and 27 minutes of pain <laughs> medicine withholding. And I just got a plate of spaghetti. I got to tell you all, I feel really, really lucky. Yeah. Lori, you had a little bit, or uh, you, I don't know how much of the experiences we're talking about you relate to directly, but I know one of the things that you've shared with us in the past that you've dealt with is uh, periods of silent treatment um, related to, you know, drinking and, and behavior and things like that. Were you, did you find yourself in a position where you were longing for, and I'm sorry, or at least a conversation because instead you were getting nothing. Can you talk about that a little bit?
5: Yeah. So I think we all, you know, long for apologies and, um, I, I got very few of them. You know, every once in a while after something really, really bad would happen and I would get the courage to confront him about it, you know, he would say he was sorry and it, it was genuine and I I received that. But um, you know, I guess for me, and, and like Don, I've studied a lot and read a lot about forgiveness. I think it's just such a counterintuitive thing. It's so nuanced. It, it it's difficult. And I think that's partly why a lot of us struggle with it. But for me, it helped me to understand it from the other side, to, to think about unforgiveness. Because when you think about unforgiveness, you know, that's that's what I was experiencing, and that's what I could control. And I had heard once this thing that really struck with me, you know, in the, um, the way the Chinese write, like their characters are word pictures. And the, the word for unforgiveness is this word picture of a man carrying another man on his back. Mm-hmm. So the idea being when, when I carry unforgiveness, I'm carrying that hurt and that pain mm-hmm. and I'm suffering. It's not doing anything to my husband. So, so if I wanted revenge, it would be a really dumb way to, to get it. And so, you know, for me thinking about unforgiveness and how that was hurting me, helped me to be more forgiving. Um, and it also helped me realize that, um, forgiveness is a process. And in fact, I've now come to realize it's, it's, it's first an act and, and it, you have to do it whether you feel it or not, because again, you're, you're hurting yourself if you don't. So I had to just choose to forgive, but then it was a process because, you know, I can forgive the act, but then there's the whole impact of all those actions and cumulative actions and so I'm finding that I have to keep forgiving you know every time those resentments come up I have to again forgive otherwise I I start replaying him in my head over and over and it brings up all the feelings again and now I'm hurting myself again Mm -hmm. and so now you know it was a process but now I'm realizing I think it's like an attitude it's almost like a A lifestyle of forgiveness Mm -hmm. learning to just you know in that moment acknowledge it and and then choose to to forgive to let it go to not let it have emotional hold on me anymore you know and I'm saying all this like I do it perfectly I don't I mean I it this is hard this is hard
0: well I, I love that perspective that when we don't find forgiveness for whatever it was, it's just a burden on ourselves. We're just, Mm -hmm. we're making life harder on ourselves. Karen, you were nodding awfully hard when Lori was talking there. Have you experienced similarly that um if you don't forgive, it's your own burden?
4: Oh yeah. And to replay the stories hurts me again too, you know, to look at that. And for some reason it kind of because it's unfair. It's like you get hurt and it's, you know, you didn't cause it, you didn't cure it. You can't do anything about it, but you're hurt. It's like being in a car wreck, physical helps me understand things sometimes, and you're wounded from the car wreck, which wasn't your fault, but you still have to do your own healing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the part of it. If, it, if it, it's continuing to keep me stuck or continuing to hurt me, I, I need to stop replaying that story. And we did the resentment processing, you know, but I think yeah. for me, I wanna see the behavior change too. It's not just, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I think a real apology, the behavior changes.
0: Well, you, you brought up a few things that I definitely want to cover. The first one, you talked about how if, you know, you have to come to the realization, if you're the one that has been hurt in the specific topic that we spend so much time on, if you are or have been in an alcoholic relationship and you are the loved one and you have suffered as a result of the drinking of another, you have to get your own work done. You have to find recovery. And, you know, everyone's nodding as I say that. That's something that everyone that's on a call like this would universally understand and agree with. But so many people don't. So many people think, just like you said, Karen, I didn't do this. It's not my fault. I wasn't the drinker. I didn't cause the turmoil. Why do I have to do any of the work? But you do. Um, And when you're not, uh, you, you know, you're just not you're not living the most full, healthy life that you possibly can. Mike, I'd like to bring you in on this. So you and I are on the same side of the street here on this call. You and I were the drinkers. Um, and your experience in your relationship was such that um, you, you've made a lot of changes, a ton of changes. I've known you for about a year now, and I've just been thoroughly impressed with all the work that you've done in your recovery, but you were married to someone who chose not to do the work of recovery and and chose just to, to end the the marriage and move on. Um, what is that like from your perspective to have, um, you know, apologies to offer and be in a really good place to seek that kind of forgiveness, but not have that opportunity. Can you talk about that a
3: little bit? Yeah, thanks, Matt. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a constant feeling of lost or questioning or a lot of what ifs. Um, the fact that after I got sober that I never had a chance to process any of it with my wife, um, whether it would have been good, bad, ugly, we never I never had a chance to talk about it after getting sober. Um, You know, we were gonna try where we failed to try some therapy while I was still drinking, but I learned that, you know, after the fact, none of it really would have mattered if I was still drinking. So um, I went to treatment and learned that yes, apologies and words don't go very far. Um, So I was prepared to prove through my actions that I was serious about change, serious about sobriety, and I was gonna take it to the next level and learn more about myself and my own mental health and really do the the hard work of full recovery or my best attempt at it and to never have to get a chance to go through any of that with my wife just leaves me in a constant state of <laughs> questions, I guess. Um, yeah. Does that make sense, man? Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Mike, you're not alone. We, we've met lots of people who have this situation and I wanna be very, very clear that the last thing I'm doing here is passing judgment on either side of it because Um, you know, we've, we've got this saying that we, we throw around a lot, you, you know, when you'll know, and we've encountered a number of people where, when the spouse of the alcoholic has decided it's enough, I mean, it is a hard line enough. Like I am, I'm out and we're just never going to talk again. Um, I, I, I was surprised to hear how common that is because, you know, I, I don't know, I, in Sherry and I's relationship, I think because I'm just a constant talker, I just never could imagine not being able to, to get, get another word in or get another try. Um, and so I feel so much for you, Mike, for, for anyone who's been in a situation, but at the same time, like I said, I'm not passing judgment on your wife either, because it's such a painful experience and, and this is how she's, she's chosen to deal with it. Um, but but yeah, just the lack of, of closure, what do you do about that, Mike? Is there, is there a way that you, you mentioned that you haven't been able to process it with your wife, but have you found other outlets to process it? Do you feel like, um, you know, you can have forgiveness for yourself without necessarily needing forgiveness from your wife?
3: It's been tough. Um, I've struggled with it. Um, going to therapy still. Uh, I have great friends and family that I try to open up to more. Um, I've even kind of talking to my pastor because I've struggled with forgiveness for myself and struggling just carrying that resentment or bitterness towards never having a a, a chance. Um, But I'll be honest, I'm hurting a lot of days. Um, You know, and I purposely... Didn't ever ask for forgiveness. I didn't. I wanted to prove it, and I didn't even ask her to stop the divorce or to. I just just wanted that half percent chance to prove myself. So it's it's hard to never even get that. Um. I think I'm just gonna. It's gonna take me some time, a long time maybe. Um. I do get a little better every day because of my kids. My two boys are. I know I'm a better father now, and I guess that's my self-healing and self-forgiveness, but it's it's a slow process for sure.
0: Well, and, and your two boys, that's a really good point because during the, the, it was about, it was about a year, right? From the time you, you last spoke till the divorce was final. Yeah. You were co- You were co-parenting. So you had lots of opportunities to prove yourself. It wasn't like you guys just went to separate corners, never saw each other. You, you were co-parenting together. So you had lots of chances to prove yourself. Um, what, you know, and, and hope beyond hope that that would be what would turn it around. I think you brought up another really good point, really, really good point. So, so sure you were a drinker and there's lots to apologize for as a drinker, but now you've, you've spent a year, like you said, trying to prove yourself and trying to get another chance And so now you've got something you've got to forgive. Um, And again, super important that we, that we approach this with no judgment, because it would be really easy to say, what the hell, you know, this guy, this guy drank and he caused problems and he broke up his family. Um, What, why should he deserve, you know, the opportunity to forgive somebody? But listen, um, after what you've been through, uh, it's a natural feeling to, um, to desire, uh, you know, amends basically from her, from, for the isolation, again, no judgment against her, but it hurts. It hurts like hell to be, uh, deserted like that. So I just commend you for the work that you're doing, man. And, um, I I really appreciate you coming on here. I know this is not an easy thing to talk about.
1: Well, and I was just going to jump in and say, like, for me, it like Lori and Dawn and Karen have said, like, forgiveness was a process. It was a practice that you had to work on. It's not perfect. Um, and I had to, I had to kind of get to a better place when I saw the steps you were taking again, we were in the same house and you were, you've always been very verbal. So I, I know every thought that goes on in your mind. Um, but then I can imagine with Lori's, um, situation where there was a lot of silence there's that kind of wondering and I just you know I had worked on a little bit of forgiveness in a ladies bible study group long before Matt even really considered full-time sobriety um one thing that I think really helped me in my forgiveness process was of course some time and seeing you be better Matt but was also blaming the alcohol and realized Mm. how twisted the substance is and had to say this wasn't my person that did this. Mm -hmm. This was the alcohol that did this. And I know that there's a lot of our friends and situations that we've seen that, you know, divorce is the only thing that's going to help. And, you know, them go on with their lives. Um, But I just, I hope that um, in some of those people that are struggling to forgive, that there is that remember to blame the alcohol.
0: Yeah.
1: It's not that, I want to push it aside, any accountability. I don't want to make sure that I'm not like saying that it's just blame the alcohol and know that the person that you married has been changed. Both of you have been changed by the substance of alcohol and you know, yeah. that, that's a forgiveness that has to also be within yourself for your own actions yep. and the other person. And there are a lot of them that don't want to change and, and you can't carry around a, a burden for yeah. the rest of your life. So, I mean,
0: those are the three really the, tangible pieces that I think we've gotten out of this discussion so far. Blame the alcohol, that that lifts a lot of the, the burden for sure. Um, uh, get that burden off of your back. It's only hurting you if you can't find forgiveness, as Lori reminded us, and then what Don led off with about how forgiveness really can be a solitary act and it doesn't have to be a two-way street, two people sitting across from each other. Let's talk a little bit about the amends process. Since we're talking about alcoholism, um, many of the people that get sober go through the 12 steps and part of the 12 steps is an amends process where you make a list of the people that your drinking has harmed and then you you, if it's possible, you seek those people out and you make amends for the um, the wrong that you've done. Has anyone experienced the amends process? Mike, first, I don't remember. Um, did you do the twelve steps? I don't remember.
3: No, I part pertin- or joined some AA meetings and still do, but I have not done the the whole twelve step process.
0: Okay, neither have I. Have any of our um, Yeah. Lori, um, you have experienced the amends process. Can you talk about what it was like for you?
5: Yeah. So my husband got sober through AA and did go through the 12 steps. And, you know, my first experience of it was, you know, when, when I recognized that, that my husband was, you know, sober, I was like, Oh, I can't wait for this amends thing. Like, (laughs) like, Like, like John said, okay, he's going to make up for what he did. He is now going to put me on a pedestal and bow at my feet and thank me for putting up with all his shit and, and just, you know, love me beyond what anybody can imagine the rest of my life. I mean, honestly, that's what I was waiting for. And, um, that's very unrealistic. And, uh, (laughs) So I, I also, you know, need to acknowledge that was really unfair of me. It's understandable that that's what I wanted, but it was very unfair of me to want that. Um, Nonetheless, I was waiting for a very, very long time. It was probably a year and a half until he was at that step. And I had to keep reminding myself, you know what, it's, it's his program. I'm grateful he's doing it. I, I, I can't resent how he's choosing to do it. I, I, you know, I chose to stay. I need to, I chose to stay well. So I have to stay in my lane here. And, and when it happened, um, well, we, we actually had a false start because he, 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 the first time we went out, he, took, he invited me out to lunch and um, kind of sat down and said, you know, I'm at this step. So like, tell me all the ways you hurt me. And, uh, or I, yeah, tell me all the ways I hurt you. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. First of all, <laughs> we're in a restaurant. I'm not doing that. Second of all, like, I need to really think about this because kind of like Don said, I mean, I could come at him blazing with a million. Oh, you did this and this on this. That would not be helpful. And and so, so I kind of said, time out. I, now, this is this isn't gonna work for me. I need some time to think about it. I wanna say things in the right way. Because again, I've chosen to stay. I want us to stick, draw closer. I don't wanna blow this up. So um, so we did, we, we had a, a redo and, and I think he went back and talked to some people about how amends works and was like, oh wait, yeah, that I didn't do that right. And um, so we had a very genuine conversation. It was uh, very sincere on his part. Um, He owned it. He talked in, you know, like Don said, kind of grouped things together, acknowledging things that he did and said. And um, it was a very sincere apology. And there were tears. And um, that's where I said, I forgive you. So for me, that was the I forgave the act. You know, now since then, and probably for a long time is going to be me continuing to forgive the impact over and over and over, because frankly, you know, through echoes and I'm, I'm now realizing all the impact, like I I didn't even realize how much impact there was. And and so, you know, this conversation actually is helping me think about, you know, every time I write, that's an opportunity for me to forgive again.
0: Oof, good point.
5: Mm, yeah. I, yeah, we
1: had several years of your sobriety where there was just fallout and the impact. And I was very thankful that you were patient with me of the triggers. And we hadn't even really understood any of this, but you had read enough or you felt enough or, you know, just to be patient and be like, oh, okay, well, that's just another thing that's fallout from the past. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like that Lori, that you had to, you forgave the act, but now you have to work on forgiving the impact. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of it. You don't,
0: it's definitely a continuing process and writing is super helpful. Whether you're doing it in a formal way or journaling, um, it definitely helps you move through that process. Um, I, Dawn, I, did you, go,
5: ahead. go ahead.
0: You go. Well, I was just going to ask you if, if you went through the amendments process, um, with your husband or not
2: yeah we did we How'd did in th- we did in counseling um it was horrifying <laughs> it was
0: horrifying. tell us more you
2: know, so and I kept pushing it and pushing it because I had things to say I had a lot of things to say I had spent two years writing what I was gonna say and so finally the marriage counselor was like you know he kept um Len kept Every counseling meeting, he would get off on some tangent about something that had nothing to do with. It was the kids or this or that, and I'm like, no, 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 that's not what this is about. So we had this this meeting, and I and I did. I got to re, I got to read everything, and it was hard for him to hear. But then he came back at me like, I don't know, 48 hours later trying to tell me that it was my fault that he drank because I should have done something sooner to get him help. And I'm like, I mean, I don't know if you guys remember me ranting on our group. I was so angry. I couldn't even see straight. You know, but I think that was like, he's got huge abandonment issues from his childhood. And I abandoned him. I put his shit in the garage, put his little bottle of booze on top of his AA book, shut the door. And I didn't want anything to do with him. I filed for legal separation. I did all those things. Six months into this, he was like, wait. And I always had hope because again, yesterday we celebrated 32 years. Um, I had this hope that we would survive, that we we could make it. We made it through so much. You know, we were the couple who wasn't supposed to make it. And here we are, you know, we were sitting at 30 years of marriage and we weren't living together because I had enough. So my amends were tough. His response to my amends were tough. And I I had I questioned, I questioned, are we gonna make it? Because he didn't respond the way I thought he should respond to them. I thought it would be like, okay, I understand that, I'm, I'm sorry. I understand that, I'm sorry I did that. It's not how it went. It's not how it went at all.
0: You know, timing is everything. Um, we've, we've gotta be as ready to um, hear the resentments, receive the resentments, say the apology, receive the apology. And sometimes we're just not in the same place and it doesn't match up. So that initial, I do remember specifically (laughs) when you had that initial meeting and how you reacted. And, um, I gotta say, I don't blame you one bit. That's tough. I,
2: I do think that I did a lot more work. It's just who I am. I did a lot more work than he was doing. And, you know, my older sister came up to me one day and she's like, what are you doing? Not, There's very few people in this world who work on something as hard as you do. She's like, if I was married to you, you could forget all this shit because I'm not reading nothing. And she's like, you guys are different. And that's what has always made you guys who you are. You're different. He's not going to do what you do. You have to accept what he is doing. And, And that stuck with me because... We are very different, you know. He's going to watch football and read a sports magazine. He's not going to sit down and read a book, you know. Um, I'm trying to do something new for work, and I've got like ten books sitting here that I'm reading at the same time so that I catch on to it faster. We're different, so yeah. once I once I accepted that we were different and that he was processing it different than I was, we were able to have more open conversations. And we did a lot, we did some in counseling, but we did a lot of talking outside of counseling, um, which I mean, end result is he moved back home and we're back together. And, you know, it's a work in progress. Um, Some days I'm not comfortable, but I'm not holding grudges. And that makes me feel better. I'm, I know I'm healthier. I'm not holding grudges not towards him, not towards anybody.
0: And when you say he moved back home, he's, he's not just stuck in the garage. You let him come in the house, right?
2: He's got a closet. All right, good.
0: <laughs> good. He doesn't
2: have my dressers, but he's got a closet.
0: You know, w- what you said about your uh, learning process, your thirst for knowledge, and that being a solitary act ties in so well with what you said about forgiveness. You know, we can force this into being a two-way street, uh, to our own detriment, right? Because if it's yeah. just not going to go, it's just not going to go. That applies to the learning process too. We all, we all learn differently. And that's something that was actually huge in Sherry and I's relationship. There were things that we used to do that would frustrate each other. And it, I mean, I think you have done this. I certainly have. I've learned it's just part of who she is. Like, you know, it, I love her and I want to be with her. So I'm just gonna accept that as part of who she is. Um, and then it all just kind of ties in we've got to have our own perspective on things but it be a solitary act
2: and that acceptance of one another and yeah, each other's part of it. Right. I mean you married the per- the person for their I don't know, you married them for who they were and then you want to change them to what you want them to be because you have all these images of what your life should be and sometimes that doesn't work. Um, I mean as far as forgiveness goes you got to start by forgiving yourself. So Mm -hmm. whether, no matter what side of the road you're on, if you forgive yourself for what happened and you're like, if he forgave himself for causing all this chaos, who am I to say he didn't do that and he's not a healthier person because he did that? I may not be willing to accept it until I'm ready to accept it. But I too have to forgive myself for all the fights and the, believing of all the lies and all the crap that went on and the situation i can i had to forgive myself for all that forgive myself for staying for so long when i had two kids that i was trying to raise to be good men you know i mean those are all things that i felt i had to forgive myself for um that didn't even involve him and again writing a lot of my forgiveness came in my writing you know like I would write myself through it and it, it's just worked for me. I know it's not going to work for everybody that way, but it worked for me.
0: Yeah. It won't work for everybody, but it'll work for a lot of people. Speaking Mm -hmm. of people who are really good writers, um, Karen, what did you go through the formal amends process?
4: I did. And, um, it depends so much on who their sponsor is, was my experience, because the person that he had was like young and he had a crazy backstory, but he didn't care about any relationships and he only had one. So here's my husband that has a wife and a bunch of kids. And um, it was very hurtful to me. And it was, and I was really glad that Lori shared, she wanted that parade and she wanted that romantic comedy ending because I felt like I was so unrealistic. That's exactly what I wanted to. So I had to wait and um I wanted it right away when he moved back in. So and and eventually I got it, but he practiced on a bunch of other people first, which I thought I should have been first. I should have been the priority. Um, but it's not like we haven't talked through things since then we did the resentment processing and that was really good, but it's kind of an ongoing thing because I think somebody brought up the impact. I didn't really know how impacted I was until I really started working on healing my trauma. And then there's like more to forgive, you know what I mean? So, um, we are pretty good at talking through things now, which is a
0: good thing. When you initially did the uh, the amends process, did he do it as it is, as I understand, as it is intended in the 12-step program, in that you sat quietly and listened while he read the things that he had to say?
4: Sort of, yeah. Sort of? Well, we kind of talked about things, and he'd done other amends before that, but it wasn't like we just pretended none of this happened, and then the amends. I couldn't have lived. I would have been sure. Bonker. So, Yeah. No, he read he read through it and had written and h- had written it out, but um, I just think it kind of has to be ongoing. Yeah, you know? because just, things I, come up in early recovery too, where you know the brain isn't healed, and, and I'm not healed, so other stuff comes up. It kind of has to be maybe a choice of daily forgiveness.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely an ongoing process. I just think it's interesting that we have three people that experienced the amends process and they experienced it in very different ways. Um, I think one of the things that we've talked a lot about Sherry is that traditionally it's the way I understand it. It's meant to be, you, you write out your inventory and then you sit with that person and they listen quietly while you tell them the things that you're making amends for in, in Lori's case, Instead of that, you got an open-ended question. Hey, what did I do that bugged you? And, you know, in Dawn's case, through the help of a counselor, she got the opposite. You sit down and listen, I'm going to tell you what I'm upset about. It was reverse amends. <laughs> reverse amends. <laughs> but the point is, it wasn't particularly clean and satisfactory. To, no. You know, it's. I think the point you made at the end, Karen, is exactly right. It's an ongoing process. If it's done the way it's intended, if it's done... In a variety of different ways, it's still got to be an ongoing process. And it goes back to what you were saying earlier, Sherry, about how that apology for a a long period of time in our relationship, all it was, was a promise of future bad behavior. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to wipe the slate clean so that I can start over and do this again to you. And so stuff is messy.
2: You know what though, but like like the um, the daily thing, you never know when it's going to come up. I mean, we mm-hmm. went away for the weekend because it's like our birthdays are were Monday, Tuesday, and then our anniversary was yesterday, so we went away last weekend, and there was a particular evening where we were just sitting there, and then all like he initiated this conversation, it, and it was just something about the past that went on for to this like two hour conversation about things he did, how I felt, but it was, it just came up. And mm-hmm. so as he's talking, you know, my head's going, oh, oh, remember that John, don't, don't forget to tell him that because I, he was pissing me off, you know, like it was very nonchalant, like, you know, but I was getting pissed and I'm like, no, no, because that's what, that, this is a story, this is what happened. This is how he was feeling. Who am I to say he didn't feel that way? Who am I to say that he felt like whatever? I know, I, I know how I feel. He knows how he feels. So, But it, was, it ended up being a very good conversation You know that leads into more conversations, but it also leads into more opportunities to forgive. Right. I,
3: and I think you can
2: work through it. You get to
4: work through it when you do that work. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and just hearing you three ladies say all this is everything that I wanted a chance to have. <laughs> and I've just never had those conversations at all. And it's that's the mm-hmm. part that still hurts.
2: Have you tried the whole writing it all out on paper and releasing it from your brain?
3: Yeah, I'm, I write quite a bit too. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I told my wife when I, shortly after I returned home from treatment, I said, I want to know your feelings of the last couple of years, because mm. all I really knew was she wanted me to stop drinking. You know, oh, I was yeah. obviously not in the right healthy mind, but I wanted not that I was sober. I wanted to know the true depth of her feelings and her sadness, And but she didn't want to relive it. She didn't want to have those conversations. So I still sit and wonder a lot of, a lot of times.
2: You know what though, I, and I know this from my mother. So my mom and dad had a real bad alcoholic relationship and um, she's a mess. I mean, she really needs to you know, work on herself. And she's like, I'm too old to learn. <laughs> I know like, you're not too old to learn. But like even yesterday, she got triggered by a phone call from a customer that she accused of potentially being a, a wife abuser because of the way he was talking to her. And I'm like, you can't talk to people like that. Like, that's your own stuff. You can't talk to people like that. You need to work on this. But some people just can't, I mean, like with her and my dad, it was just one day it was over and that was that. And there was no, I mean, I think when my dad died, they apologized to each other and, you know, all that stuff but the right before he died but it was like you know and and they you know she celebrates like 45 years of her divorce you know she doesn't celebrate mm. celebrates her divorce you know but so some people just get caught up in that thing
4: mm-hmm. i think i think there's that like matt said about the timing sometimes it's a readiness mm-hmm. like i think here's an unfair thing it's like the alcoholic for me had to be ready to be sober, you know, but then I'm supposed to be ready to trust. And I think that sometimes we just don't have there. first, there's a lot of acceptance that has to go on, which I wasn't particularly good at that or the forgiveness part, but, um, you have to be in the same space kind of, and she may not know that it's affecting her still, you know? I watched my mom too. And that's part of the reason mm why I went and got my own help.
1: Yeah. My mom as well. I mean, she was kind of bitter and sour and Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and it affected her second marriage in a lot of ways. And, Mm -hmm. you know,
0: well, and I wasn't going to bring this up, but since you brought up your mom, there was an experience just recently had nothing to do with alcohol, but there was some family conflict. Let's put it that way. And Sherry, you stepped in and kind of mediated and helped your mom see that there was room for forgiveness. There was room for communication. There was room for what we've talked about as resentment processing, which we're going to talk about more in a minute. And she's been able to take a healthy step forward as a result. Um, you know, the situation isn't completely resolved, but we all, and this was one of the topics I wanted to talk about. So I'm glad that this is where the conversation is going. There are just sometimes people that just struggle to go there, struggle to be able to have these hard conversations. That's, you know, in, in my family, I grew up in a a family where there wasn't a lot of trauma. There wasn't any trauma. Um, but everything was kind of superficial and positive. And like, the last thing I want to do is be critical. Of of my parents or my family, um, I've done plenty of that in my early recovery, in my writing, and in the things that we talked about. But I've come to recognize that's just not an area where they're comfortable. They just can't have these deep, difficult conversations. And there's nothing I can say that's going to change that. Um, you know, I don't know. Is that a can't teach old dogs new tricks? Like your Don, like your mom said. No,
2: and I I do think that there's um there like if you're raised in a family who doesn't talk and who doesn't do self help and who doesn't do all these things how how are you supposed to know that's what you're supposed to do yeah, if you're in point. a situation like this um you know when you I I guess I was lucky enough to have an alcoholic father where I played around with the adult children of alcoholic program and read some stuff prior to this with my father in my ear telling me my husband wasn't an alcoholic for years and Mm. me questioning how much alcohol he drank and when he drank and how it played out. So, and my, my dad who was in recovery for 27 years was like, he's, he's not, you don't have anything to worry about. And I'm like, yeah, but there's that line. There's that There's that invisible line. And, um, but I had already done work. You know, I have my older sister who's struggling in her life right now. She, she goes to a counselor and lies to him about her life. How is that going to help? My younger sister won't even entertain seeing a counselor because her and her husband had trouble and they were, counselor said I can't do anything for you and they walked out with nothing so like it's you know I was lucky enough to find a great counselor for myself I was lucky enough that you know I am a lifelong learner and want to read and learn more I found this group I found people who I could relate to and it helped me through the process not everybody has that
0: yeah Laurie you were nodding pretty hard in agreement there. Um, What what are your thoughts? What's been your experience as it relates to people being able to go there or not being able to go there?
5: I think that's a really good point. And it's a lot of, you know, family history. It's just a lot of how you're wired personally. And I think in the end, it comes back to like, everything does, you know, what choice are you going to make for you? Because my husband is not doesn't like to go there he doesn't like to talk about it we've had very few conversations we haven't done resentment processing mm-hmm. and you know i still hold out hope that that will happen down the road but for now i have to choose so what's my response going to be to that and i've chosen i'm going to find ways to do it myself i do my resentment processing through echoes you know, we had some early conversations, you know, John, when you kind of, again, talked about like, you know, going at him with guns blazing. I mean, an early conversation where I did start to share, you know, some of, you know, what he'd done and how it affected me. I mean, it, it scared him up. Like his response was almost like, oh my gosh, this marriage is so broken. It's hopeless. Like, and so I saw right away, this is not helpful. So I've backed off and, and um, you know, that's my work is to figure out when do I need to be courageous to maybe open the door again. But, um, you know, there are a lot of ways to, to do it. It doesn't always have to look like early on. I don't know, Matt, you or Dawn talked about, you know, sitting across the table from each other, having a conversation. You can, you can forgive and you can get healthy and you can move past things without that. It would be easier and probably better with it, but you can also do it without that. And, and, and maybe that's, you know, kind of for you, Mike, to really think about, you know, I I, I feel for you. I, I just, you've been very courageous to share. And I just want to say, I just really feel for you. That must be very hard. And I'm going to encourage you to think about how can, how can you, work through these things you know with you and other people around you just accepting Mm -hmm. the reality like Karen said we we sometimes just have to accept the reality of it and then choose how can I still be okay given that
4: and if if you could maybe talk to somebody else maybe even give it to somebody else this is what I would say for me that because I'm expressive that's probably how my husband thinks I have punished him (laughs) but maybe it would be helpful besides just write it to deliver it to somebody. I don't know what you, but you can figure that out. What would work for you just to have a witness, to have
2: a witness. Your therapist might be someone who you could do that with.
4: I did run with a therapist,
2: you know, because I know mine keeps pushing me to do this fan therapy thing. That's really weird because I don't play. I never played with toys. I don't play. And it's like, picking up these people and reenacting your life in the sand and it's supposed to help you. And it it sounds cool, but I never played with toys. I played office and post office. I didn't play toys. It would be fun.
0: (laughs) I think this conversation is really pointing to the value of this being a roundtable discussion. We've basically got five relationships represented here. And in Two of the five, the resentment processing is very difficult because of the personalities involved, and in three of the five, it's still difficult. But um, that mutual resentment processing, we're finding a way. Um, it's one of these things that's just so messy. We, you know, you couldn't you couldn't write a, you know, here are the here are the ten steps you take to resentment processing because unfortunately, there's humans involved, and and humans have different backgrounds and upbringings and and comfort zones. And it, it makes it so difficult, but I do want to talk a little bit about what we mean when we talk about resentment processing and specifically because this is a conversation about forgiveness, how different resentment processing is for forgiveness. Sherry, you were the one that helped me first realize this when, when we would have our resentment conversations and we used to do them on the front porch. Um, we would sit out there And it was about you being able to tell me the things that had happened when I was drinking that were painful to you. And it wasn't about me apologizing. What were you looking for if you weren't looking for, and I'm sorry.
1: I just wanted you to be like aware of the impact, um, aware of the situation. I wanted you to kind of try to understand my feelings about it and my perspective about it acknowledging that um you know that this happened this is the way it happened
3: yeah
0: it's like it's like the antidote for gaslighting yeah right (laughs) so i spent so many years telling you you were wrong and it's your fault and if only you understood that guys just drink this way and you're a nag and you're a bitch and you know lots of other awful awful things and so after hearing that over and over, um, you know, and still finding some shred of belief in your own instincts that those things weren't true, telling me what your truth was and me saying, yep, you're right. That had a huge impact on you way more than I ever realized that it would. Yeah. And it's just because you were told you were wrong for so long. Right. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. And there were times that we had to revisit some of the things because I just didn't Mm -hmm. feel like either satisfied or heard, or I just wanted to say it again because it was part of my own healing process Mm -hmm. that I needed to just get it out there again. Mm -hmm. And when, when I would see you be able to act okay about listening to it again, um, instead of trying to, oh, we already talked about that. Let's just move on to something else without that. Then I felt that, that's it a lot for me as mm-hmm. far as forgiveness goes and healing.
0: I heard just this week, or I read just this week, I don't remember whether I heard it or read it, but somebody said, you know, you're healing when you can hear about your trauma without being re-traumatized.
1: Yeah. And, and that carrying that anger, that's, how that's I,
0: where I had to get, I had to get to the point where I could hear that and I could nod my head and acknowledge it without feeling like you were punishing me somehow. Right.
1: And I had to be able to say it and go through it again and not be angry yeah. about it.
0: Karen, what's your experience with the resentment processing?
1: Well, I was, can I comment
4: just on what I watched with you do that? Yes, right there? please. Um, so I think every time, and this is my experience, and I probably Sherry might've felt the same way. Every time you said to her this or that or the other thing, you're basically in in the gaslighting saying your feelings don't matter and you don't matter, Mm -hmm. okay? So when in the resentment processing to be witnessed and that space held for her says, oh, wait, my feelings do matter. It does matter how I feel. And if you have to do it 150 times to feel heard, maybe there was 150 times you weren't heard. Mm -hmm. And that's why, I sometimes would, would go over it, we've said, we've talked about this, We'd go over it, and go over it, because there were years when I wasn't hurt, you know, so it, it is less important, it becomes less important when you get that space, when you feel like your partner has some empathy for you back, that's pretty amazing healing.
0: Oh, absolutely absolutely I
2: think, I think just acknowledgement too i think the, that <laughs> whole acknowledging that what you're saying true. is your truth it's how you felt because it's always been about how he felt or about how he was being ignored or about whatever to to just have that acknowledgement that yeah you know what i i did do that or yeah that's how that went that feels good and i think it allows you to to release the anger you were holding and move on to the next one. Not that you're never going to talk about it again. It's life. Same stuff comes up, but the acknowledgement was big.
0: Well, and for Sherry and I, that has applied to stuff that's way beyond alcohol and recovery. Now, I think we've both through this process become better listeners. So I can hear her express what her reality is in any situation and how it made her feel without immediately going to, okay, I've got one of two options. I can either start apologizing or I can start telling her she's wrong for those feelings. Now I can just listen and be like, wow, that's got to suck to feel that way. And I'm not taking the blame and I'm also not putting the blame on her. And that's just a different way of interacting than we interacted when we were younger and when I was drinking. Mm -hmm. So there's problem. Right.
2: And I, I also like, um, I know if I'm having you know if i just get quiet or whatever he's like are you good want to talk is everything like he checks in with me
5: mm-hmm.
2: i check in with him to make you know like is everything okay how'd work though blah 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 it, there's this check-in that never happened mm-hmm. and i really appreciate the check-in because if i sit here stewing about something that like he said before he left this morning or whatever yeah. that just creates chaos So the check-in is like, okay, I'm open to listen to what you have to say. If you got something to say, let's talk about it. You know, and I do the same with him. It's turned, I don't know. I don't know why we didn't do this 20 years ago. I don't know. You assume. Our (laughs) therapist says, when in
4: doubt, check it out. So if you're, and I'm thinking it's so easy to just slow down And I listened to another thing recently that said, if you ask the other person, can you help me to understand? Because maybe I'm not understanding this. And I think that builds the bridge in the communication rather than just assuming he's thinking this and she's thinking this and the disconnect.
0: I know that all the people that we've invited on this call are um, people who are good at researching and thinking and processing and trying to get healthy. So I know that even though I said there was no preparation needed, you guys came into this call with some preparation done. So did we miss anything? Is there anything that you guys thought was important for a discussion on forgiveness that we haven't gotten to yet?
4: Somebody said something about, this was on the call, repair work. OK, like you can make an amends and in that all or nothing thinking, you think, well, I'm, I've made it and now. I can't do it again. So but there's always that opportunity to repair the relationship. You know what I mean? Given the right timing and stuff like that. And in my some of my studying, I learned that in healthy families, conflict is normal.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: I never knew that. <laughs> what. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, to be able to work through it you know, to use, to be working on yourself enough so that you can be patient and try to be understanding. That's all I wanted to say. Some stuff we just don't know, we have to learn.
0: Oh, that's right. There's so much of that. Anything else?
3: I just, I totally agree. That I've learned so much in recovery and sobriety. I just, and Matt always says, it's just such a messy alcohol can just, such a messy drug. Um, but yes, agree with Karen totally. There's so much to learn about it. There's so many side stories and understories that go with it. You know, to me, I think, and now I'm finally not afraid to admit it, you know, the battles of my mental health were such a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. I wish I would have been more open and honest with my wife about all that before the drinking escalated. So there's just, so much to it. Yes, isn't it? For everybody to learn more can only be helpful. So thank you.
0: Absolutely. And there's multiple ways to learn. We can learn from research and hearing what the experts have to say, listening to podcasts, reading books, but there's also, I, I, I think the most healing that I've gone through and the most learning that I've gone through is just listening to stories of other people and not just, you know, rock bottom, this was the worst drinking night of my life stories, but the stories of redemption and healing and attempts and failures and, and just trying to get better. So absolutely. Well, you know, we've talked about resentment processing here at the end. And we talked about the fact that sometimes resentment processing is a, an act that has to take place over and over again. And we have to get to the point where we're patient and we can deal with um, talking about those stories because there's there's still some healing that needs to be done and and it's not a one and done. It's not a wipe the slate clean and move on. Um, we've got to be able to go there um, without it re-traumatizing us, dealing with the resentments over and over. And I got to tell you, I would take that. Over um, being under the knife and enduring six hours and 27 minutes without pain medication. So, I I think I prefer resentment processing to that.
1: And then there are some that would think I would rather be in physical pain than be in emotional pain.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. that's
1: true. For too. all of us shover downers. Yeah. I Thank think you
0: my all. Was good at that one. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you all for not just sharing your perspectives on forgiveness but for your honesty and your vulnerability and some, a few chuckles and some um, really good personal stories. Thanks for being here, everyone.
4: Thanks. Thank you. Thanks.
1: Thanks.
3: Bye-bye.
0: Before you go, we hope you'll consider these three resources.
1: If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at org.
0: If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org.
1: No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. Go to soberevolution.org.
0: For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.